All right, thank you, Rachel. And Rachel, man, that's a great opportunity uh, to serve others. Uh, you know, those little dinosaur dig things, those are really cool. Kids are really gonna like those. So I'd encourage you just to at least check that out, have a conversation with them about what they're doing. Uh, it's really good work. Um, well, we are continuing, uh, or actually we are finishing our series this morning on the prophets. Uh, we have spent the past 10 weeks looking at the message and the ministry of the Old Testament prophets. And as a lot of you guys know, this is actually the fourth installment of our long Old Testament series, the story of God and his people. And so next year we will be officially, officially finishing this series in the fall. Uh, 2022 we'll be looking at the era of rebuilding and restoration. So that's something to look forward to. But these past 10 weeks, we've been looking at Again, the prophets. Uh, we've seen in these books both how sinful people can be, but how gracious God is. We've seen how easy it can be for people to lose sight of the life that God has called them to live. We've seen the consequences of that failure. But we've also seen just how good God is in his grace, in his restoration. And so as we close out this series, we've been considering the question, how should we respond to this message? How should we live in light of this idea that we are called to love God? And last week, Pastor Eric talked about this super important idea of repentance. And when we think about the whole prophetic message, really it kind of boils down to this really simple idea that God invites us to turn away from sin and towards him. And so this morning, we want to continue that discussion by talking about what it looks like to turn towards God. What does a life look like when our hearts are turned towards God in repentance? And so in a way, this, this final message is really uh, about worship, about proper worship about how do we live in a way that is genuinely worshipful, in a way that shows God our, our genuine devotion. And so we're going to look at the, the prophet Micah today. And Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. He, uh, his ministry took place kind of early on in the prophetic era. And so this is before all of these kind of judgment events we've talked about. It's before the destruction of Jerusalem, before the exile. And so he's not explaining to Israel how to deal with these things. He's looking ahead and he's warning them about the judgment to come. And he's offering them one last invitation, one last opportunity to repent. And so in this book, we get a very clear but challenging picture of what God wants from his people. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6, verse 1, and we'll start off just with the first five verses. The prophet writes, Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. 
My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Now let me just stop there for a second. Uh, Micah has already spent about five chapters uh, offering his condemnation for Israel's sin. And so he's not going to rehash all of that here, their idolatry, their injustice. But he's setting the stage for the invitation to come. And he's reminding them of this charge, that despite God's faithfulness, despite everything God had done, rescuing Israel from Egypt, providing for them in the wilderness as they moved to the promised land, despite all of the care and love he had shown them, Israel had been unfaithful. And then in verse 6, the the verses we're going to read next, the topic shifts. The question becomes, so what do we do? Micah takes on the voice of a hypothetical worshiper and asks the question, so how do we turn back to God in repentance? In other words, what is it that God wants from us? And in these next two verses, what we see is what God clearly does not want. Some things that are not a sign of real repentance. Verse 6, With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow down before the exalted God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And the implied answer to all of these questions, should I give this or this or this, is no. Those things won't do at all. Uh, As many of you know, my sister and her husband, Will, live in Atlanta, Georgia. What some of you might not know is that Atlanta is the home of Coca-Cola. Coke has its headquarters there. And so Atlantaans, Atlantaites, people from Atlanta have kind of a weird loyalty to Coke products. And so as long as I've known Will, he loves Coke. Uh, Not Diet Coke, not Coke Zero, definitely not Pepsi. He drinks Coke. So anyway, a couple of years ago, Tracy and Will were coming to visit. And so, you know, wanting to be a good host, I went to the store and I got some mint Oreos for Tracy and some Cokes for Will. So I got home. The day before they came, I, I put the Cokes in the fridge. I lined them all up so they looked nice. Not just any Cokes. I got the nice glass bottle Cokes. They're all shiny and beautiful, just waiting for him. So they get here. Uh, first day, we have a nice lunch together, pick up the loft, Hawaiian food, sit down for our lunch. And I look over at Will, and he's drinking a glass of water. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Will always drinks a Coke, but no big deal. They just got here. I don't know, maybe he's going to take a nap later. Next day, we have another meal together. We have dinner. We go have Mexican food from El Zarape. What goes better with Mexican food than a Coke? I look over at Will, and he's drinking more water. 
At this point, I'm having like a full-on existential crisis. Like, why is he not drinking the Cokes? Have I done something to offend him? D does he not like the glass bottles? Is everything okay? Is, is he sick? Well, anyway, I just asked him, of course, like, hey, how come you're not drinking Cokes? And he said, you know, that he had given up drinking soda, which surprised me, but it's, it's good. I, I'm happy for him. No big deal. But for a moment, that rejection was a little confusing. I had placed this offering to my brother-in-law in the fridge, and he had rejected me. And it made me a little bit more anxious than it probably should have. And you know, one of the most challenging themes, one of the most confusing themes in all of the Old Testament, and especially in the prophets, is God rejecting the worship of Israel. They come before him and they bring him things that they knew he liked. Things that he had specifically asked them for. In Isaiah 1, we see the people gathering together in worship, lifting their hands in prayer, celebrating these uh, holy festivals. In Amos 5, the people come before God with beautiful songs, the music of harps. And here in Micah 6, we see them bringing these offerings and sacrifices, costly gifts. They bring him kind of standard, normal offerings like year-old calves. They even suggest these kind of ridiculously extravagant gifts, a thousand rams, 10,000 rivers of olive oil. There's even this kind of over-the-top hyperbolic suggestion, should I bring you my firstborn child? But in all of these cases, God says, hey, no thanks. I'll pass. I don't want that. Go ahead and leave those Cokes in the fridge. I'm okay over here with my water. And these passages are confusing because we know God desires worship. And in the past, these offerings, gatherings, prayers, worship songs, these had been a fragrant aroma to God. But yet here they're rejected. In Amos, he calls these gatherings a stench. In Isaiah, he says they are meaningless and detestable to me. When you pray, I hide my eyes from you. And what the prophets are telling us here in these passages isn't that God has changed his mind about worship. He's not saying that prayer and singing and sacrifice are now bad. And he's not saying that he doesn't want to be around us or he won't be in community with us if we have any sin on the table. He's not saying that he just rejects us as people. Instead, he wants Israel, he wants us to understand what genuine worship really is. He wants them to see that they are missing something essential to real devotion. And ultimately, these actions are flawed because of what they're missing. And that leads us to verse 8. And this is amazing verse. Uh, many of you have probably heard it before, and it really captures the entire message of the prophets. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, and to love mercy, 
and to walk humbly with your God. Here Micah spells things out as plain as can be. What's good? What does the Lord require? Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. If we want to understand what a life of genuine worship, genuine repentance looks like, this is it right here. And you know, obviously, when you, when you first read this, there is a clear emphasis on acts of justice in, in this passage and in others like it, in Isaiah 1 and Amos 5. Just action, righteous behavior, merciful behavior. But the point here isn't simply to focus on doing justice. The focus isn't on getting the right behaviors, on getting the right set of actions, on fixing precisely what we do. Worship isn't simply a matter of finding the right activity. Instead, this passage is really about a process that leads to acting justly. And it's this process that God is really looking for. And so this morning, we're going to look at these three principles, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And what I actually want to do is, is look at them in, in reverse order. Because when I think when we look at them this way, we see a process that God has been looking for, that God has been inviting us to throughout the entire Old Testament story and in the New Testament as well. It's a process that's simple, but it's easy to forget how important each piece is and how they all fit together. Now, the process is relationship, heart, and action. Relationship, heart, action. Walk with God. Love what he loves. Live in accordance with his character. Now, let's look at each of those principles uh, piece by piece. First and foremost, God wants to be in relationship with his people. Uh, in last week's passage from the prophet Joel, which Pastor Eric talked about, the prophet frames repentance this way, return to me with all your heart. True repentance begins not with a change in behavior, not with a new set of actions, but a return to relationship. And this is something that we see throughout the prophets. When God talks about Israel's sin, probably the most significant, most powerful image that he uses is that of a wayward bride, an adulterous wife. So when God thinks about sin, at the heart of it is a breach in relationship. And so to repent at the most basic level is to simply come back to this loving relationship with God, to know him, to do life with him, to experience his deep love and affection for us, and to love him in return. And one of the things that Micah 6 reveals to us is that Israel had completely lost sight of this. In verse 3, he asked them a pointed question. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? See, instead of recognizing God's goodness and provision, instead of recognizing all the ways he had taken care of them and been faithful to them, they had begun to view God as this burden. 
as this oppressive figure who they had to appease. And so religion, worship, became about simply doing enough to avoid punishment and gain blessing. God, if I pray to you enough, then you'll keep me safe. You'll keep my loved ones safe and healthy. God, if I come to these festivals, these holy days that mark your faithfulness, then you'll continue to take care of me. You'll bless my crops. You'll bless my kids. You'll bless my home. God, if I give you the right offerings and the right sacrifices, if I tithe to you, then you'll make sure I have food on the table. You'll make sure my silos are full. You see this attitude in their worship. God, if I just do enough, if I just give enough, if I sing enough, if I pray enough, then you'll be pleased. Then you'll be satisfied. So what do you want me to do now? What do I need to do so that I'll gain your acceptance? And God says, I don't want that. That doesn't glorify me. That doesn't honor me. Worship isn't about appeasing me. It's not some practical way to make sure you don't get punished or to stay in my good graces. God says, I want relationship. I want you to see just how much I love you. Just how much I want to take care of you. Just how much I've been with you and for you. And I just want you to stay in my presence. Worship begins with a real desire to simply walk with our God to allow him to be involved in our lives and to be God over each part. And so as we think about this idea of repentance, of genuine worship, of responding to the message of the prophets, this is such an important starting point. If you're not sure where to begin or how to live in light of the prophets, just start here with relationship, viewing God and faith through the right lens. Because this is so easy to get wrong. And ultimately, it is so burdensome when we do. Faith becomes such a burden when I come to church because that's what I'm supposed to do. If I obey and follow because God will be angry or displeased with me if I don't if I serve and give and sing, because then maybe God will be pleased with me. This is not what God wants for you, and it's not what God wants from you. He doesn't want you to live out burden. He wants the joy and life of his relationship. God invites us to simply turn to him and say, hey, I want you to be a part of this thankful for everything you've done. I'm thankful for the acts of relationship you've shown me in Jesus, in the cross, in forgiveness and grace and spirit. And I want to turn to you. I want to walk humbly with you. And that's the beginning of the process. And as we do this, 
as we experience a real relationship with God, he wants our love for him to shape what we love in the rest of our lives. And that brings us to our second principle this morning. God wants us to love what he loves. Verse 8 invites us to love mercy. And what the prophet is really saying is that to love God is really just to care about what he cares about. Uh, A few months ago, our family had a pretty major event. Uh, A bunch of us got together on Zoom, my mom, Tracy and Will, Mr. Coca-Cola himself, uh, and the four of us, Alyssa, Kaya, Grayson, and me. We got together on Zoom, and we had a Star Wars character draft. (laughs) Let me explain this, because you've never heard of one of these before. It's sort of like a fantasy football draft, where you take turns picking characters, and in the end, we would each have a team of 10 Star Wars characters. So here is the draft board that I made of all these characters that we could pick. Just so you know, I made this all off the top of my head, no resources. So you can either be really impressed with me or really embarrassed for me. I'm fine with either one. Uh, Here's the kids studying and preparing their draft boards. They're doing a little homework for the draft. And this was just for fun. There aren't really any winners or losers although my team was definitely uh, the best. But the reason we did this is that my kids have absolutely fallen in love with Star Wars. They can't get enough Star Wars. It's what they want to watch, it's what they want to play with, it's what they want to talk about, it's what they want to sing, it's what they want to play on the piano. Everything is Star Wars right now. But the draft wasn't their idea. The draft wasn't my idea. Uh, It was Uncle Will's idea. And basically, he had noticed how much the kids talk about Star Wars. He had noticed how much the kids love Star Wars. And so it was basically his way of saying, I'm going to make a big deal about this because it's important to my niece and nephew. And you know, as the draft was going on, what I realized was that Will and Tracy really don't know very much about Star Wars. They've only seen about half the movies. And they didn't know who any of the minor characters were, and they just kept being like, okay, who's that? Who's that? And it wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be, because they didn't know who the characters were. But it was their way of giving what they had, because they love my kids. And the same thing is going on on the other side of the family. Uh, Alyssa's parents, who are not Star Wars fans at all, are watching through all the movies right now, because they want to be able to enjoy this with Kai and Grayson. They want to be able to talk about it with them. They want to be a part of this part of their life because they love them that much. Now, this is what you do when you're motivated by relationship. And as we work our way backwards through Micah 6, we see that this is what God wants for us, to care about what he cares about. When God calls us to love mercy... This is about more than just being merciful or loving merciful things. Loving mercy and acting justly are not synonymous ideas. Instead, God is calling us to a deep change at a heart level. And this is another one of those situations where the the verse, the words of the prophet, kind of lose some of their impact when we translate them from 
uh, Hebrew. Because this word mercy comes from one of the most important words in the entire Bible, chesed. Let me just say this. Chesed has that like hard guttural H. I had to do that a couple weeks ago with ruach. I don't want to do it throughout the whole message, so I'm just going to do chesed. But just so you know, it's a chesed. But anyway, perhaps more than any other word, this describes what God is like. But it is notoriously hard to translate. In fact, it's so hard to translate that kind of the traditional way we see it translated in our Bibles is the word loving kindness. So basically, you have these translators who are like, well, this is a hard word. So we've got two good words, loving and kindness. Let's push them together and let's see if that works. But it kind of doesn't. It doesn't really capture what hesed is all about. Because this word communicates something deeper, a steadfast love, limitless, relentless love. It's a faithful, even stubborn commitment. Rugged, unwavering kindness and goodness and care for someone. And throughout the Bible, this word describes God's character. It is his steadfast, rugged, unwavering commitment to people. Even though people sin over and over again, even though people fail, even though people turn their backs and reject him, God continues to show love and compassion and kindness. This part of who he is, has said, is ultimately why he forgives, why he shows grace, why we see over and over again him rescuing Israel. It's why he sent Jesus to die on a cross for sinners like us. It's a continued, faithful, enduring love that goes on and on and on through thick and thin. And you know, if God is just a God to appease, if worship is just transactional, then really, hesed is just something for us to enjoy. It's just kind of something that makes me feel good. Like, cool, God loves me. God provides for me. God cares about me. That's awesome. I'll just continue to do my church thing so that I can continue to get some more of this said in my life. But if worship is relational, then said can't just be something that we get. It can't just be something that we, we receive. It's ultimately something that changes us. Because in relationship, if it's important to God, it's important to us. It should become a part of who we are, a value, a priority. Because as we love God, We'll see how important it is to him. And I think even more important than that, we'll see how powerful, how good, and how necessary Hesed is for the human heart. We'll see how necessary it is for all people, for the world around us. And that realization should change our minds and our hearts so that we would want to love people the way that God does. We would want to have that kind of rugged, enduring commitment to people. And so for some of us, this is 
the next step in repentance, in turning to God, in living lives of genuine worship, is recognizing that grace and goodness and love isn't something that God wants us just to receive. It's something that he wants us to have for others. Faith can't just be about what we get. Faith can't just be about what we do. At the center of all of that is God wanting to change our hearts, how we feel, especially about people. And as that happens, we come to the final piece of this process, action. God wants our actions to reflect our love for him. See, if hesed is at the core of who God is, if it's at the core of what we care about, then justice must be the basis for everything we do. Justice is one of the main themes of the entire prophets. Uh, in her message on the sin of injustice, Pastor Donna talked about the importance of being in right relationship with others. And we're not going to get into the technical weeds of what justice is. And so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message or watch that message, or you want a refresher on justice, go to the website, uh, listen to that again, because justice is really such a big part of repentance and worship. But what we really see this morning is why justice is so important. Because acts of justice are produced by a heart of hesed. Justice is what happens externally in our actions when I, our hearts are changed by God's love, when our relationship with God leads us to genuinely love what he loves. Because has said it's not a commitment just to, to a few special people. Has said isn't something that we reserve for our friends and our family and those closest to us. It's not something that we bottle up and hand out to those who are worthy or deserving or the best people or the most interesting, or the ones who can give us something. Instead, has said is something that flows into every relationship, toward every person. It defines how we do family, how we do work, how we do church, how we spend our time and money. It is a complete life orientation towards people, towards the good of others. It goes towards people who don't deserve it, towards people who are deeply sinful, even those who have wronged us. It goes to people who are most in need of it, those who are hurt and vulnerable. It seeks out those who have been damaged by sin, the broken, those who are marginalized, those who have been wronged. This is precisely the kind of hesed that God has shown to us. We didn't deserve it. We were damaged by sin. And we needed it so badly. And it's this kind of hesed that motivates us to act justly in the lives of all kinds of people. And when we think about this process, we understand now why Israel's offerings 
and sacrifices were rejected. Why God turned his eyes from their prayers. Why God rejected. He said, your offerings are meaningless. It's not because justice is more important than worship. It's because real worship cannot happen without justice. Justice is the evidence that we are pursuing God, pursuing relationship with him, that we care enough about him to care about what he cares about. And this is really the invitation that the prophets leave us with, this life of relationship, heart, and action. You know, it's no mistake that this is the exact invitation that Jesus offered hundreds of years later. Relationship, heart, action. Love God with everything you have, with your whole heart and soul and mind and strength. And let that love be expressed in a deep love for people. Love them the way that I have loved them. Love the kinds of people who I have loved. Because you love me. And that's why this process is at the heart of our church's vision for discipleship. Life with God. Life under God. Life for God. To do life with God is simply to experience relationship with him to know him, to do life with him, and ultimately to see and experience how much he loves us and how much he loves people. To do life under God is to allow him, his heart, his character, to shape and define us so that we would submit to his rule for our lives and ultimately care about what he cares about, to have a heart that's committed to people. And finally, when we talk about doing life for God, that simply means taking that renewed heart and applying it wherever we can. At church, at home, at work, at school, in the broken world around us. To do acts of justice that flow out of our relationship with God. So what does the Lord require of you? Micah says, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, relationship, heart, and action. And as we finish our series this morning, we want to consider this large, challenging call of the prophets. We want to ask ourselves, what is God calling me to do right now? How is God inviting me into this process in new ways? And as we worship together this morning, as we sing songs of praise, let's genuinely honor God. Let's glorify him by loving him for who he is, by allowing his heart to shape our hearts, so that we can do justice, bring said in new ways as we leave here today. Uh, let's pray together.
God, we thank you for all that you've taught us in these past 10 weeks. We thank you for inviting us to turn away from sin. We thank you for reminding us of your restorative power. And God, we want to live in response to those two realities. To turn towards you in relationship. To love what you love. And to have our life reflect that. God, would you speak your word powerfully to each person this morning? God, we never want to come before your word and leave unchanged. We never want to stand before you face to face and be the same afterwards. We want your heart, your life, your character to blow us away, to leave us with no choice to live differently, to think differently, to feel differently. So God, reveal yourself to us this morning. Reveal your heart to us this morning. Draw us into your presence. We love you. We want to offer genuine worship this morning and as we go from here. In Jesus' name.